This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Well, welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. So glad that you're tuning into the Equip Podcast today. And today I want to share a little reflection on a recent trip that I had the chance to be part of. So uh, many of you who are part of Cornerstone will know this, some will not, that uh, in the last month, I and several of our local elders here at Cornerstone, Brent Haverkamp, Doug Hensley, Jared Van Cleve, and uh, Ben Jensen, the local uh, view and voice leader for us at Cornerstone, we had the chance to take a trip over to the Middle East to see what God is doing among some of our uh, local church partners, among long-term sent uh, gospel workers in that area. The, to give you the flyover where we went, it was a whirlwind trip. We flew out of Iowa and ultimately landed first in Istanbul in Turkey. After being in Istanbul for three four days, we flew uh, down to the northern region of Iraq, what's called a Kurdistan, to the city of Erbil, and then flew from Erbil down into Cairo, Egypt, where we had the final leg of our trip. In that whirlwind trip over nine to ten days, we saw so much history, so much culture, but also we got an incredible view into what God is doing in the world. And I want to take a bit of time today to share some of that on the podcast. I'll be sharing this in some teaching at Cornerstone and an upcoming Lunch and Learn opportunity for people to hear more. But in simple summary, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what I learned about the Middle East in general, that it blew up some preconceptions that I have as an American about that section of the globe. Second, I saw firsthand eyewitness of a radical movement of the gospel that is happening right now. And that kind of thirdly taught me a ton about what it might mean in this next generation to be part of global missions in a new and a fresh way. So, Three pieces of learning, learning about the Middle East, learning about the global movement of the gospel in the Muslim world, and learning about the kind of era of global missions where we find ourselves. So let's start first with the Middle East. So one of the things that I learned is that I don't know much about the Middle East. I mean, I think most Americans, when we hear the term, hey, I'm going to the Middle East, the most common question I got from people was, are you going to be safe there? Like, is that really safe? Because our assumption is that the Middle East is a place where, to be honest, terrorists have come out of. And friends, I have to be honest, I felt safe everywhere I went. And not only was it safe, the people I found on the ground were the kindest, most hospitable people I've ever had the chance to hang out with. I had the chance to hang out with Albanians who were doing gospel work in Turkey who were so kind and out of their their poverty shared with us. I had chance to hang out with long-term workers who have set their life in Istanbul as a city and said, I love it here. This is the best place I've ever lived. And frankly, Istanbul, Turkey, and the food in that country, the beauty of that country, it was incredible. And the Turkish people, so proud of their country, so welcoming to others. I had the chance to sit with Syrian refugees who fed me one of the best meals I've ever had in their home. And their openness and warmth and kindness, um, even as I record this, makes me tear up thinking about it. To think of the overwhelming generosity of our Egyptian brothers and sisters. Guys, the Middle East is a beautiful place 
filled with beautiful people and this rich long-term historical rootedness to their cultures. I mean, every place we went, we'd see buildings like, that's a thousand years old. Oh, that's 3,000 years old. In Egypt, we went and saw the pyramids. They're 3,000 years BC, okay? Which means the pyramids are there before, like, Abraham, before the Jewish people ever come down, fleeing into Egypt prior to the Exodus, the pyramids are already standing. It just helps you to realize how young our nation in America is, how you know experimental in some ways this whole project we have of Americans is on the global historical scene of humanity. And I loved the Middle East. Some of the best people, some of the best food, what a cultural experience. But beyond that, we weren't just traveling to have a cultural experience. We wanted to see what God was doing. And I'm coming back to tell you, there is a global movement of the gospel right now in the Muslim world that, and I don't want to overstate this, I want to be clear and objective about this. I I think most missiologists would tell you that the current movement of the gospel among Muslims is the most significant movement of the gospel um, in history right now. One way that it's been described by the author David uh, Garrison, who he wrote a book called A Wind in the House of Islam, how God is drawing um, Muslims to himself. That book, what he is, he's a missiological researcher. He says, if you think of the house of Islam, quote unquote, that house has kind of nine rooms in it. I got the chance to go and see kind of three of those rooms. The nine rooms, just to quickly note them, would be um, North Africa, West Africa, East Africa, the Arab world, which is kind of Egypt into Saudi Arabia and kind of up through the Arabian Peninsula, the Persian world, think uh, really Iran is the center of that, the Turkish or Muslim world, which Turkey is clearly the center, but that goes up through the stands that used to be part of the former Soviet Union and kind of even into the Uyghur population in China. Then you have uh, the Western South Asian Muslim world, kind of that would be like Northwestern India, and then the Eastern South Asian Muslim world and the Indo-Malaysian Muslim world. Those are the nine rooms in the House of Islam. There is gospel movement happening in every one of those nine rooms that is the most significant movement of the gospel to happen in generations, if not ever. So I got to see three of those rooms. The Turkish room, where they're, they're Turks, and they're proud of that. And what they say in Turkey is uh, that to be a Turk, to be Turkish, is to be Muslim, where their cultural identity as Turks, in many cases, is far more important to them than their religious identity as a Muslim. Just like you see nominal Christianity here in America, where people will check the box of being Christian, but they're not really deeply committed to the way of Jesus. The same thing is certainly true in the Muslim world, and we saw that a lot in Turkey. In some ways, I wondered in Turkey if they weren't more in love with their country than with their religious affiliation to Islam. But the Turks are historically perhaps the least reached with the gospel of all of the houses of Islam. I learned that on the trip. So, for instance, a friend of mine, Tim Labinus, who uh, helped to guide us on this trip, he lived in Istanbul for years. When he was there in the mid to late 90s, estimates were by missiologists that there were 400 evangelical believers in the entire country of Turkey. That would be a country of nearly 60 million at that time. 400 
gospel-professing evangelical believers. Just put in reference, the, the country of Turkey is the place where all seven of the churches in Revelation are found. Galatia is part of Turkey. Ephesus is in Turkey. Smyrna is in Turkey. This is where the roots of Christianity in Paul's missionary journeys were, were in Turkey and over into Greece. In Turkey, 400 evangelical believers. Today, what are estimates among the Turks? The estimates are it's moved from 400 to 10,000. Now, that doesn't seem significant, but what's happening right now is the fastest gospel growth they've ever seen among the Turks, and it's being driven in part because of the Muslim Brotherhood, the Arab Spring, and the uprising of ISIS. It has displaced people from the Arab world, from the Persian world of Iran, who have moved into Turkey as refugees or as foreigners coming in, and brought with them a Muslim background, but a fresh faith in Jesus that they're beginning to share with the people around them. There are international churches in Istanbul. The globalization, the invention of the iPhone, is transmitting information about Jesus all over the globe in the Turkish people are gradually becoming more and more and more open. So we went from Istanbul and Turkey into the the kind of a weird melting plot because in the Kurdish region in northern Iraq, you are 200 miles, a couple hours from Syria, you're a couple hours from Iran, you're a couple hours from Turkey, and you basically are in this melting pot where you have Turks and Persians and Arabs all together. Persians that, you got to think Iran. That's in in Iran, here's the estimate, in one of the most oppressive um, Islamic regimes in the world, the estimates are between 1.5 to 4 million believers exist in Iran in the underground house church movement. And in the midst of that, the reports that we were hearing in the Middle East of the Persian world say there there may be a 20% annual gospel growth in those that place of the Persian world, which means it's entirely possible some missiologists would venture to say that the fastest growing church movement in the world right now may be happening in Iran. Think about that, friends. In Iran, where persecution and murder for your faith as a Christian is common, God is blowing a wind by his spirit. We then went into the Arab world. And in the Arab world, again, think Saudi Arabia, but really the center of the Arab world is Egypt. And when we were in Egypt, we had the chance to uh, be with some mission partners that we've worked with there, an organization called uh, Church Planning Development East, um, CPDE, if you want to know about it, which if you want to find out about CPDE, um, I'll try to share a, a link if I can, but I'll also just pull up their website if you want to go hear more about uh, CPDE. I'm pulling up. I'll get you in the exact. It's cpdeministries.org. They plant churches in hard places throughout the Arab world for Jesus. They really started as a house church movement among Orthodox or uh, traditional Christians in Egypt. And this movement has grown over the past 20 years to somewhere around 18,000 house churches existent, hundreds of thousands involved in there, and near, nearly uh, 22,000 rather people who in their house church movement came to faith in Jesus last year. That, that is stunning. Part of the, the trip was to see what God was doing through their organization. But that told us this group that started in Egypt is now beginning to move throughout all of the Arab world. They're moving out 
into different regions of the Arab world. They have individuals working in church planting all throughout Persian uh, sections of the Muslim world, up into the places you can't imagine. We had the chance to do dinner with Syrian refugees who are Muslim background believers who put their faith in Jesus, who are trying to go back to their people, even in a country decimated by civil war. Estimates are Syria, which had 20 million people, 10 million have been displaced. 10 million refugees. But those refugees in that have found Jesus. Here's my point. I learned to love the Middle East, but I had no idea what God was doing. The place that I hear about on the news as the dangerous place that's hostile to Americans and Christians, I was welcomed with open arms and God was at work. God was at work where I didn't know he was at work. And it was stunning. It represents one of the largest shifts of gospel movement to occur in the Muslim world ever. And here, I'm just going to tell you, God is doing this work in an astounding way. One segment of it uh, that shocked me was the amount of people from a Muslim background who shared that they had had dreams and visions of Jesus that were central to how they came to faith. At one point, I asked one of our Egyptian friends who was with us, how many people from a Muslim background who are becoming Christians, how many people, like what percentage would you guess their story involves some sort of dream or vision of Jesus that directed them to find a Christian or a Bible to hear the gospel? And his estimate was conservatively 20%, but he could say possibly upwards of 30%. My experience on the ground matches that, if not higher. When we did dinner with a family of Syrian refugees and their friends, out of the four adults in the room, three of the four had had dreams and visions of Jesus while still Muslims that directed them toward faith in Christ. Friends, this isn't 10 or 20 of these happening in the Muslim world. This is tens of thousands happening right now annually because the gospel's not bound and we have a global God who loves people who are far from him. And he is sending his spirit to give dreams and visions. And not only that, he's sending his people. But what shocked me every place I went was it wasn't primarily Western Americans who God was sending to this place. There were some heroic workers doing incredible gospel work. But what was happening is actually God was taking people who had come to Christ out of a traditional Muslim background. He was taking Egyptians, and he was moving them on mission for Jesus into new regions and new places. He was taking Turks. He was taking Albanians. He was taking Persians. And what was happening is the globe was beginning to reach the globe. It wasn't a movement driven by American ingenuity or by Western dollars. It was a movement driven by a global God who has a global heart and that he's planted in his global church. And that is kind of the third thing I want to talk about. I learned about the Middle East. I I saw a stunning movement of God amongst the Muslim world. But I also learned a little bit about how global missions is working in the current era that we live. So if there's a famous article um, written years ago in Global Missions titled uh, Four Men and Three Eras that talked about the kind of major historical eras or periods of time where uh, global missions was happening. So the first era of global missions we could call the Coastland Era, and that the, the person associated with that is William Carey. William Carey, if you think about it, was sent from the first kind of Western sent missionary from America. He landed in India, but he was in a coastal 
coastal region of India where he set up his coastland mission. It was getting people from the West to the world. The second era is titled the Inland Era. If you're familiar with Hudson Taylor, Taylor, Hudson Taylor, what did he found? He founded the China Inland Mission, Africa Inland Mission, Sudanese Inland Mission. That phrase inland is important because you needed to go from the coasts to the interior regions of the country with the gospel. The third era of global missions, you could... Uh, hang underneath the heading of the UPG, or the Unreached People Group Movement. It's founded by missionaries who were showing up in these places, and the people would hear them speaking in a language or a dialect that was different from their tribal or traditional dialect. And they would say, that's not a God for me. He speaks Spanish, for instance, in Guatemala. He speaks Spanish, but he doesn't speak the dialect of my tribe, of my people. And what we began to see is that people aren't just grouped by geographical or national borders, they're grouped by cultural or ethnic borders. So in the UPG movement, you have the founding of things like Operation World, the Joshua Project, um, people trying to go into these unreached people groups with the gospel, to cross an enormous cultural distance, because the barrier from an American to another country is already big. The barrier from America to an unreached people group that's never heard the gospel, it's huge. So the the founding work in this UPG movement, the Wycliffe translators, who are working to translate the Bible into the language of people, the, the Jesus film, trying to be translated into every language. You see, that's kind of what that movement's about. That's the third era of missions. But many missiologists will say, while there are insights from all three of those eras that are still incredibly potent and powerful, from the Coastland era of William Carey to the Inland era of Hudson Taylor to the UPG, Unreached People Groups era that we were just in, we've, many missiologists will say we've entered a fourth era of global missions. And you could title that era um, From the Globe to the Globe. And kind of the catchphrase in this era is this, that what we think of in the West as traditional mission fields have now become missionaries, that actually reached with the gospel, a national church has grown with the gospel, and they now are embracing sending to the globe. You can think of the South Korean church that may be one of the most aggressive mission-sending churches in the world. They're far more aggressive than the American church in sending missionaries. Uh, Brazilian missions agencies all throughout Latin America. And it parallels the shift in kind of what we could say global Christianity represents. You see, as an American, and I'm ashamed to say this, I, I think this way. You know, I think this way as an American Christian. I think Christianity is what I experience, you know, like John Piper is a big deal in America. So he must, you know, he must be like known all over the globe. Well, the stats on global Christianity suggest that there has been a major, major movement of the gospel out through the world. So let me give one stat, for instance. This is research by Lifeway, okay? Um, in Lifeway is the Southern Baptist kind of research and publishing arm. They estimate in 1900, 95% of all Christians lived in a majority Christian country. In 2022, that number has fallen to 53.7%. That doesn't mean that Christianity has gone down. It means that Christians have moved all throughout the world okay? They have moved all throughout the globe with the gospel. And the movement has been from kind of global north and west to the global south, okay? 
That's an incredible movement of the gospel. If you were to look even, for instance, at that movement, many estimates will say, if you go back to the early 1900s, 80-90% of all the Christians, people identified as Christian, lived in the global north, the global west. Today, that number has shifted entirely. It might, many estimates say 20% of global Christians are in the global north or west. 80% are in the global south. In Latin America, in Africa, in Asia, the gospel is explosively growing. In the Middle East, the gospel is growing. In fact, recently I had a missiological friend tell me this stat, which hurt my heart, which is the only two uh, areas in the globe where Christianity is not rapidly on the rise are North America and Western Europe. Friends, what's happened is the places that at one point were receiving missionaries in the coastlands, in the inlands, in the UPG movement have actually now become places where they embrace the gospel and they're going out with the gospel to reach their own people or the neighbors next door. Albanians reaching Turks, Egyptians reaching other Arabs, reaching into Syria and into Iran, Persians moving out in this diaspora. What we have is a global God who's raising up Christians all around the globe, and we're sending from the globe to the globe, and the traditional mission field is becoming the missionaries. And as a church, Cornerstone, we've always wanted to be a local church with a global vision. And I just, as I close this podcast, want to encourage you with a few things. First of all, if you want to be a local Christian with a global vision, oh, I would just urge you, take an opportunity as Cornerstone offers a missions trip, like the one that I got to go on or others that will be upcoming over the next several years. Take the opportunity to just get your family into a context that is globally minded, even if it's as simple as going to a context in North America that's vastly more diverse than the countrysides of Iowa where we live. God will open your heart when he opens your eyes. I fell in love with people in the Middle East. It shattered my preconceptions. It was so good for my soul. Don't just stay in an American context. Find ways to broaden your perspective. Second thing I'd urge you, pray for the world. Pray for the world, but don't, don't pray saying, oh God, there's no gospel out there. No, pray with unbelievable faith and hope because the honest reality is outside of America, the gospel is on the move in stunning ways, friends, in stunning ways. Pray with faith and encouragement for the Middle East. It is absolutely incredible what God is doing in the globe. Pray for organizations like CPDE Ministries that I mentioned. Pray, give, support. As a local church, we're we're increasingly working with local missions partners in these places. We love to send American missionaries out. We're going to continue to do that because we believe that's God's heart. We also love to work with global Christians to reach the globe with the gospel. That's so strategic and powerful, and we look forward to doing more of that as a church. In all of this, oh, I just want you to know that God, oh, he's, he's the God of the whole world, and he's at work. We had the chance at Cornerstone recently to celebrate Easter, that, that Easter celebration all around the world. What we saw God doing locally in our midst, praise to his name, but he's doing far more. He's so big. He's so great. Our God is so big. There's nothing our God cannot do. He is bringing his gospel to the world. Let's join him in that work. Let's pray. Let's give. Let's go as God moves. And let's have just, I hope, an incredible encouragement today to say God is on the move. 
Friends, God's on the move in the Middle East in places I never knew he was on the move. Take faith from that today. Take encouragement from that today to know that God is at work. God is at work all around the globe.